Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. If you've driven the 405 freeway through Los Angeles, you've probably seen the Getty Center up on the hill. It's an incredible $1.3 billion facility dedicated to the legacy of creative endeavors of artists from ancient to contemporary. I have wanted to visit for a long, long time. Not because I'm a connoisseur of art, but simply because the place looked amazing from the 405. I finally went with three of my kids a few years ago, and it did not disappoint. Room after room of art spanning from the Middle Ages to the early 20th century. If you ever have the opportunity, go. The Getty Center is the legacy of industrialist and art collector J. Paul Getty. But it's not his only legacy. He spent his life amassing an oil fortune and for a time was the richest man in the world. Maybe you've seen All the Money in the World, a movie based on the 1973 kidnapping of Getty's 16-year-old grandson. It's estimated he was worth $2 billion at the time of the kidnapping. That'd be $12 billion today, which actually sounds unimpressive compared to the wealthiest today. But he refused to pay the $17 million ransom demand, instead saying he'd pay a ransom up to a tax-deductible amount. When his youngest son was battling cancer at 12 years old, Getty complained about the amount of his medical bills. He was a man who lived with anything he wanted, but also in isolation estranged from family, paranoid about his own safety. Getty died in a 72-room mansion alone. At the end of his life, it was said he had done everything possible to earn his reputation as mean, arrogant, and a cheapskate. That's also a legacy. How often do you think about your legacy? what people will say about you, the the impact your life will have had. I think about this in the context of my marriage, my kids, my work. How will I be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? Author Steve Saint wrote in his book, End of the Spear, your story is the greatest legacy that you will leave to your friends. It's the longest lasting legacy you will leave to your heirs. Beyond inheritances, genetic dispositions, baldness possibly, your legacy is what lives beyond you. Now, the foundation of a legacy is focus. It's the building block. Whatever is the focus of your life determines your legacy. Here's another truth. Legacy is a choice. Your legacy is your choice. It's a matter of what you choose to focus your life on. You see, legacies don't just happen. They're being made every day with every decision and action of our lives. It's funny. Usually, it's as you approach the end of life that you begin to think about this. Yet at that point, legacy is pretty much set. What if we learned to approach every day, 
every decision, every action as a line being written in the story of our legacy. That's what we're going to look at today. Here's a statement I want you to hold on to. Focus drives your actions, which determines your legacy. Whether intentional or unintentional, focus steers the course and direction of your actions. And over time, those actions create the legacy that lives beyond you. We're going to look at three stories, three legacies as they're established. All three are found together in the Gospel of Mark, one of the four written accounts of Jesus' life. Here's where we start. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. It's just before Passover in Jerusalem, which is a celebration of God delivering the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. It's estimated there could have been two and a half million pilgrims there. The, the city was packed. Jesus is there, and the religious leaders are out for him. They're done with this troublemaker from Nazareth. They, they know to arrest Jesus could provoke a riot. Just days before when Jesus arrived in, the, in Jerusalem, it was like a ticker tape parade followed by the people welcoming in a new king. There was an intense nationalist feeling amid the Roman occupation. The emperor had stationed extra troops within the city to deal with anything that got out of hand. The religious leaders know they are walking a tightrope. And here's where we see the focus of the religious leaders. Their focus was self. Jesus was a threat to their religious system and their control over the people. He was talking about a relationship with God rather than a religion about God. His teachings had been dismantling their authority, status, and affluence. He was upsetting the status quo. Religion had become a source of position, power, prestige, and Jesus threatened all of it. The battle with self is one of, if not the greatest battle you face. All the way back to their creation account, the temptation that brought sin into the human experience was, you will be like God. Don't you want this? You see, sin by nature is selfish. All sin is choosing to, to give into something that you want, that you feel serves you at that moment. We're born with a bias in our soul, a, a predisposition to self-centeredness, self-absorption, self-indulgence, self-destruction. This is the battle of all battles, where we experience our most significant victories and our worst defeats. So what did the religious leaders do? Well, their action was secrecy. They began putting together a secret strategy to arrest Jesus before anyone knew anything about it. The word used here means trickery, using bait and deception. Exactly what you'd expect from the religious leaders representing God, right? <laughs> I mean, I hope not. In a few days, they would arrest Jesus, put him on trial, and ultimately crucify him. They sent an innocent man to a gruesome execution. 
Their focus drove their actions, which determined their legacy. Their legacy was death. The historical record shows their hatred for Jesus. And this group of religious, God-fearing experts are known for killing the Son of God. Maybe you need to take a, a long, difficult, honest look at the legacy you're building and the death it's leaving in its wake. Life has been so about you that people near you have become nothing but tools to achieve your success. Bystanders in the drive for career advancement, an annoyance to be tolerated, or worse, eliminated. Your wake may not have led to the physical death of someone, but you've burned bridges, lost relationships, pushed God into a deep, dark corner of your life, or completely out. It's not too late to change your focus, choose different actions, and create a better legacy. Let's look at the second legacy. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to, with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper. We don't know much about him, but we can assume Jesus had healed him of leprosy. Otherwise, there would not have been a dinner gathering in his home. Lepers had to live separately from everyone. But Jesus is at his home in Bethany, which is also the hometown of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Those names might be familiar to you. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha are probably best known for time spent with Jesus. Martha working to prepare the perfect meal and Mary sitting at his feet listening to his every word. It's believed the woman who came was this Mary. She breaks a jar of very expensive perfume and pours it over his head. As John tells the story in his account of Jesus' life, she pours it all the way down to his feet and then wipes it with her hair. Have you ever seen someone go over the top with gifts for the one they love? You thought to yourself, like, come on, that's too much. Is it possible to give too much to the person you love? Roman Abramovich, the owner of the Chelsea Football Club, that's soccer for us in America, he gifted a bronze sculpture to his former wife worth $14 billion, which was given, he said, to keep a smile on her face. I'm assuming by the former before wife, it didn't work. And by the look of the sculpture, that makes total sense. If that wasn't enough, he also gifted her paintings worth $120 million. Too much? Well, he had it, and he wanted to give it. You might look at Mary's actions and think, okay, kind of weird. Don't want anyone pouring an entire bottle of perfume on my head anytime soon. But in the Jewish culture of the first century, this had beautiful significance. 
It was the custom to pour a few drops of perfume on a guest when they arrived or sat down to a meal. But she broke the jar and poured it all out. Why? Maybe she broke it so all of it would be used. None would be left. There was another custom in the East that if a distinguished guest used a glass, it was broken so that it would never again be touched by the hand of any lesser person. Maybe there was some of that in her mind. Maybe she had been reflecting on all Jesus had done for her family, her brother, and wanted to give the best she had to him. This was an extravagant gift. We're told it was worth a year's salary for the average worker. Her focus was Jesus, who had brought life from death, both physically with her brother and spiritually in her heart. And just like when she had sat at Jesus' feet, so focused in on him that she was unaware of what was going on around her, at this moment, all she sees is Jesus. There's no pride, no shame, no withholding, no concern for the cost of her actions or the opinions of others. Hers was an action of sacrifice. What do you make in a year? I'm not really asking, that's really none of my business. But stop for a moment and consider that. I mean, let's be honest. We consider the cost of our actions every day. Gas is over $4 a gallon, reaching the highest prices in over seven years. You know you've debated the value of some drives. We think in terms of return on investment. What's the benefit to cost ratio? even in our giving to God. Charitable giving is a tax deduction. My wife and I made some personal giving decisions this year. And recently we gave to something that has impacted our lives. As I was giving, I realized it was not a nonprofit. And my gift would not be a charitable donation. I'd get no credit for it with the tax man. Suddenly, I was confronted with my motivation. Now, I would love to say I didn't even hesitate, but I did. At that moment, my thought was, we'll get no benefit from this. Followed by a gentle voice that simply asked, is that what it's about? Mary wasn't concerned with how she would benefit. She already had. Her legacy was love. Love can see that there are things, that the chance to do which comes only once. One of the tragedies of life is when you are moved to do something but don't because of fear, embarrassment, the cost, your reputation. Maybe second thought suggests a more prudent response, something with a better ROI. Love can see beyond the selfishness ingrained in us and act entirely selflessly. Mary was focused on Jesus, acted sacrificially, and left a legacy of love. Look at how Jesus responds. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. 
She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, talking about her legacy. One more to look at. To put this in context, look back at verses 4 and 5. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Who's the they? The Gospel of John clarifies for us. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Back to Mark. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas was one of the twelve. He had spent three plus years with Jesus. He'd heard it all, seen it all, been on the inside of it all. And yet, he hadn't surrendered it all. His focus was personal gain. The desire for personal gain can be a powerfully destructive force. For Judas, it was money. Same for J. Paul Getty. But that's an extreme example, Scott. Yes, it is. Most of us will not be billionaires, but it's not the amount that turns the heart. It's the desire. The desire that blinds you to decency, honesty, and integrity leaves you careless about how you get it so long as you get it, entraps your heart, your mind, and life in a never-ending quest for more, destroys or objectifies others in its wake. Maybe for you it's not money. What is the thing, the area of life you haven't fully surrendered to Jesus? A focus on personal gain takes your eyes off the one in whom you gain everything. As a result, his action was betrayal. It wasn't an accident or unintentional, a caught-up-in-the-moment decision. It was a journey of choices that led him here. Pastor Andy Stanley calls this the principle of the path. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. Your focus drives your actions and ultimately your destination, whether you intend to end up there or not. You may know that very place, the result of a focus you've had or have that ultimately destroyed your marriage or your family, damaged relationships, earned you a reputation among your peers, led to a a legal record that follows you around, something that weighs you down with, if only I hadn't. And one of the most heartbreaking insights into Judas's life 
he's confronted with the reality of what he's done. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. His legacy was regret. He learned too late that the price of some things is simply too high. That thing you're striving after, once achieved, does not satisfy you in the way you envisioned it would, and, and you look back in regret. Less than 24 hours after Judas criticized Mary for wasting money, he ended with a life wasted by the pursuit of what would never satisfy. So, three legacies. These are not the only three, but they live on as examples for us to learn from. Legacy is the lasting imprint you will leave on those closest to you, those around you, the world in which you live. You might be remembered for a few generations, or possibly your name will make it in a history book and stick around a little bit longer. What is the legacy you are building today? What's your focus driving your actions and determining your legacy? I'll leave you with three encouragements to think about, maybe talk about with God and those that are trusted sources of influence in your life. When it comes to establishing your legacy, first, check your focus. Is life all about you or the empire you can build? Your truth apart from a love for others? Selfishness rather than selflessness? Personal gain over a generous attitude? There's an issue with your focus. Assess your motives in light of a Christ-centered life of loving God and loving others. Begin to focus or refocus your life in that direction. Second, change your actions. What are the actions of your life that, that need to change or be redirected? Where is selfishness leaving a, a wake of broken people and promises, missed opportunities, regret, or death? What are the secret places that you haven't surrendered to God? A lie Satan loves to use is, it's too late. You've done too much. You've, you've gone too far. Maybe you have that ringing in your ears because of the life you've lived to this point. It's a lie. Jesus came to redeem and restore and renew all that was messed up and misguided in our lives. Don't buy into the lie. Lean into the truth and with God's strength, wisdom, direction, his spirit within you, change your actions. For you, that might mean taking a next step of faith in Jesus. 
and allowing him to speak into and guide your actions. Last, create your legacy. What do you want to be said about you by your family, neighbors, employees, or coworkers, those in your sphere who, who had nothing to offer you, anyone and everyone who comes into contact with your life and character? How others will remember and talk about you when you're gone is a result of the life you live now. So to create the legacy you want, one that honors God, embraces the love he has for you and his love for others through you. Let's pray. God, our desire is to, to really take a look at the lives we're living, what our focus is, what our motives are, what, what actions are driving us forward, and look at it in the light of who you are and the life you desire for us to live. And Lord, my prayer is that we would all kind of center our lives around this, this way of Christ-centered living, that, that the legacies we're building, that how we will be remembered is as people who followed you as best we could, imperfect, but authentically. And lead us into that direction, Lord. Build in our lives a legacy of one who loved you and loved others. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.